Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from BlakeRadio.com. on the Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. And as always, I'm your host, Deirdre Shula. Well, today we're going to be talking to Leslie Harrison, who's my guest. And while Hi. Leslie has... How are you? While she's been knee-deep in jazz, she is quite the eclectic performer, having excelled in the art forms of jazz, blues, gospel, soul, and indeed the American song form, singing original compositions, and, well, any song in any form. She's a co-founder of the Jazz Gallery when she partnered with the late trumpeter Roy Hargrove and Dale Fitzgerald, wherein they provided a space for young artists to perform and hone their talents. Well, currently, Leslie performs with her quartet every Wednesday at Smoke Jazz and Supper Club, which is located at 2751 Broadway in Manhattan, where she lends her smooth sound. And she also lends it as a DJ on WBGO. Leslie has formerly walked the runways of Paris and has taken her musical talents internationally. But she is here, as you know, as you can hear, waiting in the wings 
So let's greet her. How are you, Leslie Harrison? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me on your show today, Deirdre. It's quite I'm my well. pleasure. <laughs> you know, I did my gig yeah. last night at uh, Smoke. So uh, I'm in recovery mode now, and this is the perfect <laughs> way to recover. It's talking with you and your well, you. listeners. Well, you have, what, three sets there? So you might be a little sleepy. Yes. As, well, it's not so much this. Yeah, it's that too, but it's just, you know, I do three one-hour sets. And then, of course, I'd never go home. I stay and hang out for the, the there's a late set uh, that the drummer, uh, Joe Saylor, hosts the late show, which ends at 2 o'clock. So I always kind of wind down Ooh. and then hang out and sing with those guys. Oh, okay. So That's I didn't get home last night until about one thirty. Well, I didn't say until 2 last night, but I did come in around one thirty. But, I, I, you know, they always invite me up just as I'm about to walk out the door. Leslie's still here? Yes, come on up and sing one more. So that turns into two songs, which I don't mind. But uh, it's just that it's hard, you know, it's hard. It's, it's the vocal rest the next day. I have a gig tomorrow in Harlem, so I'll be fine for that. So where is that? A singer's life. Uh, Missed Harlem. It's uh, on 116th oh, yeah. Street. My Image yeah, Studios, yes. Yeah, so I'll be there tomorrow. For Women's International Women's, uh, well, it's International Women's Month, and they're doing a whole celebration of female vocalists, and I'll be there as a featured artist tomorrow night. You heard that? Come on folks. by. Make your, come, exactly. Go on by. <laughs> and that's on 116th Street, and what's the avenue? Between Lennox and uh, Fifth Avenue. So make it over there, folks. But we're now we're going to travel down uh, uh well, to your past. Okay, let's uh, go. You're both from the north and the south. You've had uh, both exposures growing up. Tell me about that. Mm. Well, I was born here in New York City. Um, my father was a New Yorker. My mother was uh, is a southerner. And, uh, you know, they had their divorce. Um, we moved, my mother and my brothers and I moved to North Carolina with her parents. And so I had a, a life with my grandfather, and my, my grandfather was a minister in the um, Methodist church, and my grandmother was a teacher. So we were there for about four years, and then my mother decided she wanted to live in Boston. So we hauled up back up north mm-hmm. to Boston. In between time, I spent a lot of time also still in New York, and I, my heart was always in New York. I never liked, you know, leaving it, but, you know, because I, I had to. I did. I had no choice in the matter, but but right. my influences, the gospel came definitely from my, you know, being in the South with my grandparents. But my New York roots are West Indian. My my father is uh, West Indian, so I had those uh, those roots here uh, in New York City, and I heard a lot of music in all the places. And in New York, I was influenced a lot by Caribbean music. Um, from all the islands. I lived in Spanish Harlem. And in the South, you know, this Southern soul, this gospel blues. So I absorbed as much of that as I possibly could. And, of course, I sang in the choir. Is that what made you decide to sing or being around music so much? How did you start singing? Was it in the church? Well, I started singing in the church, but that was I didn't I didn't have a plan on becoming a professional singer. I wanted to be a professional actress, 
and I was on the uh-huh. track uh, to do that. I started out in, in theater. Um, I actually, one will never believe it. I was once a very shy child. <laughs> but I would get up in the choir on Sunday mornings, you know, when it was the junior choir uh, performed uh, in, behind my grandfather. Um, but then I went to, when I was in high school in Boston, I wanted to get out of a class. And so there was an acting class being taught by professional actors. And I, it was an option, and I took it, and I loved it. Not really big on musical theater, but I loved being in the theater, and that was the track I was on. I came back to New York after going to the University of Massachusetts and working a lot in theater there. I did, you know, dozens of productions. And I did quite a few productions here in New York City, but it's a real hard life. And... uh the grind is really hard. And though I love singing, I was a little afraid of it because I had found myself on the jazz scene knowing uh, professional singers like Carmen McRae, like Shirley mm-hmm. Horn, Cassandra Wilson. And I would always be like, oh, I'll never be able to, uh, to do that. But secretly, it was my desire to sing. And I realized if I could sing at night, then I could probably work in the daytime, and then that meant I couldn't do as many productions as I wanted to do, but it was the beginning of my singing career, and that was, I was well into my 20s, uh, actually my 30s when I started as a professional singer. Did you get training in in, in, uh, the genre of jazz? Only from the real life experience. I didn't go to class or anything. I didn't, I just was on the scene. I started out in the music in this music business uh, in the ra- in the radio. I started working at uh, WBGO right out of college. I was a college oh. DJ, and uh, and I didn't plan on being a professional DJ. But some musician friends of mine who knew me from Massachusetts say, "Hey, yo!" So I would listen every day, and then uh, I ended up, you know, sending in my information, and they hired me. And so that was my int- my entree into the jazz world because, you know, now I had access to jazz clubs uh, because I worked at WBGO and musicians galore. And uh, so mm-hmm. I was, and so I fell in love with the music and then met all the, um, the players in the game. So when I started, you know, like, wow, maybe I could, maybe I could sing, but I never did it in public yet. I was haunting my skills quietly because it's a brutal it's a brutal out there you know this is one it's New York City if you're not up on your game you can really get um, caught up in I didn't know if I could really do it but anyway I worked on it I worked on it I moved to Paris and I started getting professional work and I said well if I go back to New York I know I won't be able to sing because who's going to listen to me (laughs) well fast forward here I am there you go and you've sung you performed at places like Sugar Bar and Zinc Bar, the Metropolitan Room, and Smalls Jazz Club, and even the Apollo Theater. The Apollo, well, that's probably you know coming from living coming from uh, from living in Harlem. I will never forget the experience I had. I had to run out the day of my concert at the Apollo. I had to uh, you know pick up some things uh, you know for the show, and I took a bus downtown. And and the bus is going across 125th Street, and suddenly there's my name on the marquee. I'm on the bus. I'm going bananas. Oh, that's my name. That's my name. 
like, you know, growing up in Harlem, you see everyone's name on the marquee at the Apollo. But to see my name on at the Apollo on the marquee, that just, you know, that, that still is one of the highlights of my life. And also to actually play, they have a uh, a cafe there, the, uh, the Apollo Cafe, which is a beautiful space. Uh, so, yeah, I played at the Apollo. I work a lot in New York, um, Smoke, Smalls, the Jazz Gallery. And I travel a lot internationally. I work uh, a lot overseas. Well, they say the Apollo audience can be very tough. Did you find that to be so? No. Mm-mm. I did my thing. All right. <laughs> I, they love I knew what I – listen, I came prepared. I did not come to be uh, to be booed. And that was also, you know, like, wow, this is the Apollo. But, no, everyone was quite uh, receptive. And um, they actually asked, have asked me back. But I have, you know, I have to work on a specific – uh, show that I want to do. So look, I didn't burn that bridge, and I'm and I survived the Apollo. You know, but you you sing a lot of jazz, but you consider yourself an eclectic singer. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, I like to sing, and my one of my I mean, I love the songs out of the Great American so- Songbook. But I grew up in the '70s, and you know, I was I was born in 1960, and I was surrounded by. Um, Motown and soul music and the music of the 70s, you know, the OJs, the Sound of Philadelphia, Motown. Mm-hmm. And so that's the that's the music that influenced my life, you know, but I knew about the other things. Those That was the music of my parents' generation. So I always had this concept of doing the Great American Songbook. I'm sorry, the Great American Soul Book because there's so many... You know, a lot of jazz standards came out of popular music. You know, they were once pop tunes. That's what pop tunes are about. And so the popular music of my day were, you know, was Aretha Franklin, Gladys Knight, you know, the Tim Prees, you know, all the Black Ivory. I love those groups. Oh, yeah. The, the stylistics. So I always said I would love to do those songs again, but it was in the context of a jazz uh, you know, environment with jazz musicians, whom also a lot of those cats also grew up with that music. So, I like to just I like to sing songs that I like, you know, and not try to put it in a hole like this is jazz. This is this. I think if it's good music mm-hmm. and if it's if, and it's telling a good story, um, the audience is going. No, no one's going to walk out because you didn't sing. You know, Bye Bye Blackbird. You know, exactly. they might have a, you know, <laughs> you know, if it's if it's if it's not delivered properly, yes, they have every reason to walk out. But you know, you want to touch people, and if most people listen to all kinds of music, do they so sometimes they, they, yell out favorite? Um, not not in New York so much. You know, uh, some people because I'm a regular at Smoke, uh, you know, and some people who have followed me over the years, they know I have they have they have their favorite songs that I do, and so they may call that out, but. But uh, no, now when I'm in uh, overseas, that's a big thing. People often request um, tunes, but for the most part, in, in here in the city, in New York, people leave you alone, you know. Or they might ask for something like, "Oh, it's my husband's birthday. Do you have something for him?" But for the most part, no, they don't call out tunes. But if they're if a friend of mine is in the house or somebody who's familiar with my work, they often always call out. Like, like I do, Bill Withers a version of Bill Withers' um, Ain't No Sunshine. That mm, seems to be yeah. a favorite. 
And I've actually just recorded that uh, in November, and I'm working on my new record, which that will be on, as as well as some originals. When do you expect that to be out? Next Um, year? Probably in the snow. Hopefully this year. Like, it keeps moving, getting further and further away because I'm tweaking it now. Um, So I'm thinking it'd probably be more like the summer, hopefully by my birthday in July. Oh, I'm a but July baby too. July 6th. July 11th. All right, Cancer. <laughs> yeah. I'll have a I'll have a release party and a you know a, or a listening party before I have the actual release. So I'll make sure that you get in there for that. Oh, thank you very much. Now you mentioned uh, singing overseas and and where? What countries? Um, uh, most recently, uh, and I have a stand in residency in Bangkok. I do uh, Bangkok mm. over the Christmas and New Year's uh, holiday. I go in. This year, I only went for one month. Or 2018, I went only for one month. That was for December to January. But normally, I've gone there for two months. But they most definitely want me for the holiday. I've also played Russia. I've done a tour in Russia. Uh, Israel. It's like that in Russia. Well, actually, that was quite interesting. I, you know, I played in some big cities in Russia, Moscow, Yekaterinburg, and I played in some little, small, really like just. You would think that no one lived in these little tiny towns, but they have these concert halls, and you know, you arrive in a town <laughs> that you think can nobody can possibly live here. It was you know. And then here's your my picture, you know, uh, on a poster, and the people wow. are just they just absorb it. And the kids they and they bring their children to the concert. The concerts are usually earlier in the after, like the early evening, so the kids can come. And it was it, I was really overwhelmed by that particular tour in uh, Russia. It was my first time there, and I met I had one concert in this huge concert hall, and the kids sit in the front row and they were just mesmerized. And so I did a work song uh, at the end, and I invited the children up on stage. And, oh, my that. God, that was, oh, they loved it, and I loved it. And then, like, after the concert, you know, the, the kids would wait. And there was this one place that we went to where the, the, I, I came backstage, and it was, I opened the door, and there's all these children and their parents back there. And the, there was one person who spoke a little English, and she wanted, she was trying to let me know, that the children wanted to sing a song for me. And I was like, oh, absolutely. These kids sang. They don't speak any English, but they sang on the sunny side of the street in perfect English. Oh. This was their teacher, and they, they learned these songs. And I, it, was just, it was just magical because, you know, sometimes if you don't travel, you have all these concepts or preconceived notions about another country and other people and, you know, how they're going to uh, receive you. But... Everybody was just, you know, they love the music, and and they give flowers. So I, I loved, I mean, I loved my tour in Russia because of just for that reason, because it opened up my my heart a little bit more, and we could all use our hearts being opened a little bit more um, in this world. So yeah, that was that was probably one of the best tours that I'd done was and was in Russia. But um, yeah, I you know I go wherever they call me, France, Italy. Nice. <laughs> Wherever well, the, wherever the call it, goes. Well, once you go there, do you do you try to book yourself since you're there in, in Europe? 
Europe in other countries, or is everything pre-planned? Um, no, I don't. I don't. Well, I don't have a booking agent. I have a manager, and you know, right now we're trying to change our relationship where he may do some more booking for me. But right now, the calls that I, I get calls, you know, somebody called me who's a friend of mine who works in Bangkok, and he said, "Hey, you want to come and do this residency?" And so I went. I went for three weeks uh, in 2016 in September, and they asked me would I come back in December and stay for two months. And so that started that relationship. So it's one, it's hard for me to be away too, too long from from home because, you know, I I have matters of the heart here in New York, and I don't want to be gone too long. But it is my business to be out on the road. I have a No, I don't have any children. I, I have a significant other. I have a spouse. Oh, okay. No children. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's it is my work. But um, but I do my own bookings. You know, for the most part, people call me. I don't really have agents, which will change. I'm pretty sure when this record is uh, done and out in the world, I think I actually end up with a booking agent. I have a feeling. I'm putting well, it out there in the have- universe. And and God bless it, bless you in that endeavor because Thank I'm sure you. that having witnessed your your singing myself, I think it's your time. Thank you so much. Now you've walked the the runways uh, in 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 the past. Uh, tell me about mm-hmm. modeling. Well, I always had a you know because I'm tall, and I was used to be very skinny. Of course, what girl doesn't want to be a model? So I, it was kind of a fluke. It was in my late 20s. I'd done some work here in New York, but, you know, the competition is very fierce, and at that time my confidence wasn't uh, very high. But I was in a store one day. A woman was following me around the store like she was ducking behind the shelves, peeping around the corners. Well, she turned out to be a, a, a photographer, uh, a pretty big photographer, a fashion photographer. She was French, and she ah. she was like, "Oh my God!" And you know, people had always said they wanted to photograph me, but there was something about her. We connected, and we did this huge photo shoot, which led to another photo shoot. And she also lived in Paris, and she said, "Well, you should come to Paris." Well, I had always wanted to go to Paris because I, you know, took French since kindergarten. It seemed like, and I never really had a chance to use it. So I went to Paris, and I did, you know, I had at that point developed a book because of uh, the work I'd done with Noel Hoep. And so, yeah, I did some work in Paris with um, Patrick Kelly and, you know, some of the some lesser-known designers, But and I did a lot of print work. But uh, it, that's really, it, it wasn't as pretty as I thought it would be. And at the time, I started modeling professionally at that level. I was already in my, twi- my, my late 20s. So the singing had already started, and I was like, well, you know what? And the acting was really what I wanted to do. So, you know, I dibbled, I dibbed and dabbed, but I, I came back out. I, when the dust settled, you know, I, I became the singer. And, uh, and, of course, I bring my acting to the stage and my, my sense of fashion to the stage. So I, it all came together in what I do now, I believe. Well, tell me about your partnership with the uh... – your co-founder, well, you are a co-founder of the Jazz mm-hmm. Gallery, but that was with 
Roy Hargrove and Dale Fitzgerald. Tell me about that venture. Right. Well, Dale was a partner, uh, and Dale managed Roy. And uh, we we worked together when we when Roy was just starting out as a teenager. And uh, I was actually still, yeah, he was uh, 17. And I had come home for a holiday from Paris. And he was, you know, this young trumpeter everybody was talking about. Well, it turns out that Dale was, uh, had, you know, gotten wind of him and had become his uh, business manager along with Larry Clothier. And so Roy um, often talked about a big band. Now, managing a young boy, a young man in New York City, and he was the toast of the town at the time, but he had, had to practice. So he lived next door to us in our apartment in the village, and then that became too, too small. It was a small apartment, and it became very loud with his trumpet playing late at night. And then he moved to a bigger apartment, and then he drove the neighbors crazy there. And then he moved to another <laughs> apartment and drove the neighbors crazy there. So Dale said, why don't he, he looked for space, and at the time, Lower Manhattan, uh, which is now called what used to be called the printing district. It was um, it was there was a lot of space and there wasn't weren't a lot of tenants. So we found this space on Spring and Hudson Street that was specifically for Roy to go and do his rehearsals. So at the time, Roy had friends like and these were people there. They, they weren't household names at the time. Common, uh, D'Angelo, they used to all come out and hang out at the. It was called the Loft. And anyway, the Loft turned into. You know, we we had all this collection of artwork, so it became a place where we stored this artwork that was jazz-related artwork. And then one thing led to another, and we got the – I don't know if you remember the club Bradley's. Bradley's was on University uh, Place, yeah, and there was a yeah. piano there. Right, and that piano belonged to Paul Desmond. When Bradley's closed, they had to do something with the piano. So the piano came to the to what was the loft had now become the jazz gallery because we had this artwork and we decided we wanted to morph it into something else. It was also a Roy's rehearsal space, but he mostly went in late at night. But anyway, we and he started working a lot. He was not around as much, and there was this space that became an office. And we decided to like put some paint on the walls and you know spruce it up a bit, and it became. Uh, the jazz gallery, and we became a not-for-profit. And uh, it kind of morphed into a, a home for younger musicians at the time in the, uh, uh, in the 90s. There were a lot of cats coming in from uh, Cuba and um, Israel, and they kind of made their way to the jazz gallery because of uh, the programming we were doing, uh, kind of this cultural um programming with um, Ghanaian musicians and Cuban musicians, Israeli musicians. And anyway, as our mission grew, our mission became, you know, we wanted to have a a venue where we foster the youngest generation of jazz musicians. And um, to this day, as we uh, embark on our 25th year job there, but I am now a member of the board of directors. So we are thriving organizations. Some of your uh, some of the new cats that you see out on the scene, a lot of them have come through the Jazz Gallery, and a lot of them have become MacArthur um, awardees, you know. So we're very proud of the work we do at the Jazz Gallery. We're now located on Broadway uh, in the Flatiron District in New York City. Oh. Now, Roy Hargrove recently ba- passed, and was yeah. he very influential in your life? Oh, very much so. We were very, very, um, I was part of the inner circle that uh, took care of Roy. 
um, he was very close. We were very, very, very close. Um, you know, I, I managed uh, his affairs. Um, you know, so that hit me kind of hard. Ill? It hit us all pretty hard. Hmm. He was ill for a period of time. He was ill. Mm-hmm. He well, he had been on dialysis for years. I mean, it didn't stop him from working. You know, wherever he uh-huh. was in the world, he had to be on dialysis three times a week. So that was, you know, that was something that he, he just lived with. Um, when he returned back from uh, Paris in October, he got ill on his way back home, and uh, he never recovered from that. He had a heart. He ended up having a heart attack. It was complications due to to um, his kidney failure. Oh, so, sorry to hear. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was a major loss, of course, to the to the music world, and of course to us. He was, we were. I mean, I'd known Roy since he was seventeen, and not just knew him. We were partners together at the Jazz Gallery. Um, Dale Fitzgerald passed away um, in 2015, and so he took care of Roy. Uh, he was Roy's business manager, and so that fell onto me because we were we were a small little gathering of of a family that surrounded and took care of Roy, uh, myself, Roy, uh, Dale, and Larry. And so it wasn't hard to do because, you know, we were part of his inner circle. So, yeah, that's been, it's still uh, like a shock that he's no longer calling me up all the time, you know, checking in. And yeah, it happened. Uh, he, he passed away November, November 4th. Exactly. Just a month shy of his, he had, his birthday was, his 49th birthday was October 16th. Oh, my goodness, he's so that he, young. He was 49, yeah. But he left a lot of music, and he was, a, you know, Roy was a great mentor, too, to a lot of other musicians, you know. I did a class the other day at the new school. I had a lecture, and... um uh, a lot of the students asked about Roy, and um, he his second home here in New York City was at Smalls Jazz Club downtown. And when he was not on the road, you could find Roy at Smalls most late nights hosting a jam session or sitting in on a jam session and really teaching the, the musicians, the younger cats, um, you know, the fundamentals and with a really giving spirit. So... He had a huge send-off at Jazz at Lincoln Center back in January that I performed for, as well as every band that he ever had. It was like it was like a five-hour um, send-off for wow. Roy. Yeah. Speaking very, of that, and all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of that, you have a quartet yourself. Tell me, tell me about them and who they are. Oh. So my band is, um, my working band is, I have an organ uh, trio that I love. I love the Hammond B3 organ that comes out of my my church roots. Um, It's Ben Patterson. Ben Patterson is uh, making a really great name for himself. He just won the uh, uh, Ellis Marcellus piano competition. He's a great pianist as well. I don't know, did you see the band with the organ or the, the piano? I think you saw the organ. I think you saw the organ band. I think that we had just got the organ back. It was on a hiatus yeah, for a while. It's smoking. So I have Ben I Patterson on the organ, uh, and I have uh, Russell Carter on drums, 
And my long-term collaborator, Saul has worked with me longer than the, both of those, uh, the other guys. Um, we worked together, we've been working together 20 years at least. Uh, he's been in most of all, every band that I have once I started to have a working band. And Saul Rubin. So you're doing your upcoming record with him? Yes, he's on the that band that you saw. He's on that on that that's my working band, and then I've have some um, special guests joining me: Ruben Fox uh, on uh, saxophone on one or two tunes. And now we heard something else. You want to add another uh, couple of musicians to to the project? So as these things go, you keep listening and you hear like, okay, this could be better. Of course, you want to put out the best. Record and this is probably the first record that I participated in. What you what we listened to earlier with just friends, most of the stuff that I've done in the past has been live recordings. So I actually went into the studio myself with my money, with no producer. Well, I have a producer, my my producer and my manager James Brown, and um, decided I wanted to do the record that I wanted to do, and um, see what happens. Let the chips fall where they may. Do you have a name for it yet? I don't. I don't. I, I have another. I have another project that I'm working on with Fabrizio Soti. Um, I, I and I did a. I wrote a tune, and I always thought I would have that tune be the name of the album called "Dancing Alone." My goodness! Speaking of dancing alone, I can't believe we run out of time. So I'm going to have to say adieu to you, Leslie Harrison, and thank you for coming on the show. And, well, why not end the show with Dancing Alone? You were just mentioning it, and so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to end the show with Leslie Harrison singing Dancing Alone. Be the name of the album.
she sings to herself when she's blue. She talks one on one with the spirits for the strength she shows to you. For the power to just get through For the love she shares with you